0: You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. Today, we're going to take a look back at my conversation with Amanda Seifried from December of 2020. We have been in lockdown for nine solid months. The world has literally shut down. And I can't underestimate what the pandemic well, how it affected everyone in the world and certainly how it affected artists and shut down productions. But right around this time, this is when everyone was pivoting to trying to create content and and continue to promote their films and talk about their work and entertain people in any way they could because that's what they do. When I caught up with Amanda, it was definitely a busy time in her life. I remember she was in a loft in her barn. She lives in upstate New York. And she had recently given birth to her second child who you may hear in the background of this conversation, along with uh, various other animals. She had starred as Marion Davies in Mank, David Fincher's film about the screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz. I love this movie. It hit every sweet spot for me of like Hollywood history and black and white and David Fincher and just telling the story of this slice of life about the writing of Citizen Kane. Orson Welles' epic film that's considered one of the greatest films ever made and groundbreaking at the time. Amanda got her first Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress for playing Marion in in May. And in the years since, it felt like she hit a new stride in her career, honestly. She earned a widespread critical acclaim for her portrayal of Elizabeth Holmes in The Dropout, including an Emmy win last year and a Golden Globe win this past January. I just loved getting to catch up with her, so I'm happy to be able to share it again with you all. Amanda, it's lovely to see you. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I am very excited to talk to you about mink uh, from the first second I saw it, and I've seen it twice now, and I want to see it a third time, and having... The privilege of knowing your career from the very beginning, I feel like, from my time at Vanity Fair and watching you grow. I feel like this is the part that you were meant to play and you were a revelation in this movie. It was just like, oh, I was I'm just so proud of you. So I'm gonna start with that. Thank, thank you. <laughs> And then I'm just going to get into it. Like, how did this script, Mank, how did it come to you? Like, what were your thoughts when you when they you were first approached? I remember
1: hearing about it. I was at the train
0: station. I was at,
1: what is it, Penn Station, heading back home. And uh, I was talking to Abby, my agent, who's one of my closest friends, and was telling me that Fincher's new movie is happening and, and that I'm, I'm very much in the running. And, of course, I was like... That's impossible. No way. I don't expect opportunities like that. I think that's how I've gotten around most of my careers, never expecting anything and always being really surprised if something good happens, which has been really helpful to work to, so far. And then knowing that that was possible and knowing that I was going to get a script and that I was going to have to talk to him. And I was like, I, I can't, I can't screw this up. This is my, this is the biggest opportunity in my career for sure. Of course I've had amazing opportunities. I mean, my career, has been longish and, you know, I've, I've been able to work on great stuff, but this is definitely another ballpark for me, for sure. I mean, he is one of a kind, David Fincher. So I read the script. It was very compelling. And, um, I spoke to him that night very quick and we had an amazing long conversation about, uh the
0: era. And do you hear that? That's good. Is that a baby or a dog? That's my dog.
1: I'm <laughs> like part of me was
0: worried. So <laughs> my mom is downstairs
1: with my newborn and my three and a half year old. Um, but anyway, it was an he's so smart. This movie has incredible parallels to what's happening right now. And also, it's the golden age of Hollywood. It's just, it's perfect. It's a mass, I do, I do think it's a masterpiece. And it's something that we haven't seen before. And, and truly, like, the greatest gift to me
0: and my, as an actor. Marion Davies is beloved, obviously. And she's something where, you know, on Turner Classic Movies, you can see her films. uh, And what we know about her is more, her legacy of of being the mistress of of Hearst and not so much uh, who she was as a person. And what this film really shows you is who she was as a person and how intelligent and witty and kind and just someone you would obviously gravitate towards and want to be friends with. And I think what makes this film so strong is the relationship between Marion and Mank and Mank of course is played by Gary Oldman. Uh and your chemistry is it just incredible. You don't as an audience member you don't not believe it for one second. You feel like you're right there with them. Can you talk to me a little bit about a just working with Gary and and getting to that um to that working space as an actor to make it all so seamless.
1: Well, it it starts in a script. The the their their relationship was written in a way that I think captured the best of both of them. The best of Mank in that he was really, truly so easy to be around and just wanted to have fun and was so smart and could spin things and and make things so much more interesting. And Marion is the same. She's really clever and she's very charismatic and really she just wants to have fun and she just wants to see the best in people. And so you get the best of each of these people, who they were, and you see it you see them just mix so beautifully in the the script and you want to believe that that's how their, their relationship was. And I think because Gary is not very precious when he's on set, if he, he's, he doesn't take himself that seriously. That's I think the thing I love most about him Um, as an actor, he, he, he shows up, he knows, he knows exactly what he's doing in terms of like he he's very prepared, but he also can play around And nothing can be too serious. And that's the way I work. I am not very precious either. If I make a mistake, you know, I, I don't get into my head. We just, we just really work together that way really well. And I think that you can feel that you can feel this, um, the connection that we have on set and, and how much we love our characters and how prepared we are and how we like to play around and, you know, and the, and the connection between Mank and Marianne, it's all really kind of fused together. It was really, those were really the, the best scenes for me. Mm-hmm. No doubt, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of obvious that that's like the walk and talk is just, it's magical in every way. And it, everything just comes together in that way, but it has a lot to do with how the characters were written. And it has a lot to do with how we work.
0: What What did you learn from working with Gary and someone who's been in so many amazing films.
1: Wow! Uh, I think I learned from Gary that no matter how many movies you've done, no matter how many Oscars you've received, that no matter how many characters that you've played, there's you still have a center. You still you're still you'll still be able to find yourself if you don't take anything too seriously. It doesn't seem like he's chasing anything. He's where he is. And and you can be ambitious and passionate without it being everything and without it, you know, killing you. And I've seen it kill a lot of people. I've seen it bury people. And he's just... He's just there. He's just present, and 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 I know that I I want to I want to maintain that too. I want to be as prepared as he is. I want to have as much fun as he does, and I want to make the most of each each project, each experience.
0: He clearly does that. Other than the script, uh, and I imagine your conversations with David Fincher, how? Did you, Amanda, get into Marion? Like, what was your, you know, did you do research? Like, what, what did you start with and kind of what did you end with?
1: Boy, well, I started with terror inside of me because she's a real person and she's Marion Davies. She's this glamorous movie star in the Golden Age. Someone my dad admired, you know, he's just such a cinephile. So I just, there was a lot to live up to. So I knew I just needed to get as much information as possible, which was not that easy. Surprisingly, she wasn't that well respected when she was alive, which was interesting because she's an incredible actor. I think she's an, an incredible comedian, and that's what she loved to do. And you could, she thrived in that way. Um, you can see she was really happy doing it. I, I have this, I had the book, um, The Way We Were, The Times We Had, sorry, we, The Times We Had, which was her um autobiography in a way, it was just taken from. Interviews that she she did when, like kind of in her later years, much later years, and there's another biography that's very thick. And then she has there's like three movies on Amazon that you can just buy right away and click on like Kane and Mabel and Polly of the Circus and the other one Blondie, um, Blondie, uh, Polly of the Circus, Blondie of the Folly <laughs> His titles are incredible. She's done so many movies but she is a mystery really. I mean, her autobiography is memories and we don't know how clear she was at that point when she was being interviewed. And, you know, I, I had all this, I had a, enough research for sure. And I have this script and I had, and David had somebody like a researcher on, on his team. And so like a, doing historic research, but she was still a mystery, so I had to definitely, as an actor, you kind of fuse your essence in with any character. But the first thing I have to do is find things that I relate to, find things that are similar, find you know ways to fall in love with her, and that was really easy. And then the rest was just accent and trying to hear her voice in in her movies, but not, but but find the backstage version of her. It's it's always it's always a trip and I was lucky I had enough information, but, but then at the end of the day, we were also creating her based on an essence that I have and that she has. And that really was helped by just long conversations with David.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, also some of the gowns and costumes in this film are breathtaking and i'm thinking about one in the particular scene in san simeon when you got it's like after dinner and everyone's like talking about world events and mank is there with his with his wife and you have this gown that's unreal <laughs> talk to me just about wearing that and getting into that and the wigs and and whatnot that's another
1: character in itself. I feel like the first time I stepped into the entire costume with the hair and the makeup and everything was very specific. And I could tell that when we were doing our camera test, it was just, I mean, down to which ring I was going to wear on which finger, what kind of purse she would, she would have, what would be in it. Um, the shoes, everything was meticulous and just, I felt perfect and, I was transformed. I mean, stepping into that character every night, that was another, like, it took me that much further. Like, it took me to, like, 110% of Marion Davies. The the outfit that you're referring to, the dress, was a, a fabric that I had never even heard of before. I can't even, I don't even know what the name of it was. It, the way it looked on screen, the, the screen, the way it catched the light was, it almost seemed like I was wearing an alien suit that was moving in a way, it just, it felt like it was, it kind of felt like it was like a visual effect. Um, it really melted on me. It was just very,
0: very weird. Um, I honestly don't know how to describe it. It was like liquid. I felt like you were walking in liquid. That's what it felt like. Like, like mercury. Mm-hmm.
1: That's what it looked like. And I've never, I've never seen that fabric. I've never seen that material. Probably never see it again. I think it was actually from the era of course Trish Summergles, I mean she's well, you know, she's uh she was amazing. I, I, I don't I can't there's like everything I was wearing was couture. No, I've never I mean, I listen, Lame is is a close second for sure. Those costumes were made. Um they were extraordinary for that era. They was so fun, the corsets and everything, but but this is this was on another level. I they're gonna be in museums. I'm probably mm-hmm. never
0: gonna see them again.
1: No, they were made for me. <laughs>
0: You can visit them in the museums for, for the whole world to see. It was spectacular. Yeah.
1: And I was worried, you know, I was really worried because I, I had just found out I was pregnant, God, two months before I was finished filming. And I was like, listen, this is my second kid. I don't know what's going to happen with these costumes, but you're going to have to be very aware that you might have to <laughs> change everything to, based on how I grow. And it, it things some things had to be let, let out a little bit. And then I was so grateful that I had already shot that the scenes while the walk and talk with Gary because that was just so tight and I mean it was
0: it wore me, you know. Well, one of the things like any actor certainly that works with Fincher or wants to work with Fincher, you know, it's he's the great auteur. And one of the things that makes him great is his relentless pursuit of excellence. And you know that when you watch a fincher film everything is going to be thought of you know there's nothing that is a coincidence or happens to dance and yep and you certainly are not new at this you've been even though you're very young you've been acting for a long time what was that experience like for you working with him well i don't not to be self-deprecating but i think
1: i I feel like I maybe maybe I've been pretty lazy in my career, and not to say that I I haven't worked really hard, and I not that I haven't been challenged, but this is another level of challenge. Of course, I knew that he did a lot of takes. That's the thing everybody talks about. They don't talk about why often enough, and I got to know why, and I never ever felt like it was too, that we were doing too many, which is extraordinary for me because the laziness comes from impatience. And that impatience was just kind of, I just dis- disappeared because I, I saw why, I understood why every time we were doing it again. And I don't know, I, I, I think that's just because no, like you said, nothing is an accident. Like nothing, you know, everything is. There's a reason for everything. And to to watch that, to watch someone with such precision and such confidence in his vision is makes you feel like you can do anything. You can. I just jumped into this warm pool, knowing that what we were making was going to be, in some ways, flawless, and that he was going to take care of me. Um, I don't know if I've ever felt that way. And maybe I will never feel that way again, but I certainly, I certainly feel like I've, I, I, I rose to the challenge, which is, I'm, I'm proud of that. And I don't, I think he asks that of everybody and everybody you have to rise to the challenge to work with someone who knows exactly what he's doing and exactly what he wants and has all the passion in the world is, um, Oh, it's so, it's so nice. Mm-hmm. I'm just
0: so proud so happy that i i got that experience. Or what do you think you'll take that from your experience with him? That i'm that i can do better,
1: that that i should be more patient and that i ha- that i absolutely have it in me if i just like spend more time with it. I think i'm not always going to get the opportunity to sit with something for a week or explore the moment on set you know for however many takes. I'm not gonna get that so I have to do all the work beforehand. Thank God, thank God for this this role. And you know I've, I've done a lot of cool things in my life. I've played a lot of cool characters and I've worked with amazing people but but this is on another level. this is something that's going to live on for for everybody everybody involved and for everybody that sees it
0: Mm -hmm. because it's one of a kind. Well, one of the scenes, I think, where you particularly shine, you have no dialogue. And that costume party at St. One of their many, yeah. One of their many, right. But you don't say one word. You just the entire scene plays out on your face and obviously, Mank, you know this. He comes in, he's drunk, and he's rambling, and it's it's a big crescendo actually in the in the movie, a kind of before and after uh, effect of the scene. Can you talk to me about shooting that and and take me through that a little bit?
1: It's my favorite
0: thing in the world to not have dialogue get in the way.
1: <laughs> I don't I don't know what that means for me as an actor. I was talking to About that with a friend of mine who's a director, like how nice would it be just to do a silent movie? And, I mean, I I didn't I got to feel every possible feeling that Marion might have been feeling, and there was I mean there was a huge arc to that whole scene for 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 Marion, for everybody, for every character, for sure. I got to connect. I mean, it was just a, a feast for me as an actor. I got to connect with Charles have those moments of all the things that I'm saying in all the things that I want to say that I can't say. It's so, it's so indulgent in a way and and easier, maybe. I mean, I, it's like the, the audience can project so much of what you're doing. So you can, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's very freeing, but also almost harder in a way too, because you're trying, you, you want, you want the audience to understand what you're going through. And she was going through a lot. So there was just, it just ran the gamut. And there were a lot of notes coming in from David, like six notes at a time. And every take, maybe I'd get two or three of those and then we'd keep doing it. And I just got to feel so many things. (laughs) And I had so many opportunities to do it. So I don't know. It was I, I made a meal out of it for sure. I was surprised at how many how much screen time I had in that scene when I saw the movie. Um, But then I realized it was, you know, there's so much happening for, for all three of them, really, that little, that triangle, uh,
0: Mank and, and Hearst and, and Marion. I should say for our listeners that Charles is Charles Dance who plays Hearst. Yeah.
1: God, just looking across the table. I mean, we were there for a while, you know, Mo, a whole week, right? Like this was a huge scene. I mean, Gary, every time I will say, and I'm sure you're going to hear this a lot, Gary never cut back on his performance, never missed a beat or a line. Maybe he did. I wouldn't have known. It sounded great. It sounded if I couldn't see him. Cause you know, he'd be around and then I'd look over and I mean, it was, it was complicated to shoot for sure, but I mean, I guess everything is when there's a lot of people involved, but it was so fun. It was when I wasn't extremely nauseous. It was really exciting to get to do a scene like that.
0: How did Fincher talk to you about Marion? Because she was a uniquely modern figure in this golden era of of actresses. But she had a very contemporary perspective on life. I'm curious about what what kind of conversations you had around her, and about her.
1: Um, all of our discussions were really about where she, like, what kind of person she is, where she came from, and 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 how she feels about people. And to keep everything sort of grounded in just being just how genuine she was. She tells it like it is, and a lot, not a lot of women did, especially. I mean, in that era, especially like being the mistress of of Hearst, I mean, she had no she really had no shame about anything, and that was also very kind of modern. She was just really honest about what she felt, who she was, and just wasn't ashamed. I mean, you can that really came out in that scene mayor's birthday party she just was talking and she doesn't feel bad about anything she doesn't feel bad about what she talks about what she heard you know she understands oh I shouldn't have said that but whatever you know, she's you can see everything you can see who she is you, you can you can touch her she's real and that was really important to show that side of her because the people that have heard of her I think wouldn't necessarily assume that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it, was, it made me love her because she she knew how to play both sides. She was so much smarter than she was given credit for just because she was staggeringly beautiful. And people make that mistake all the time, you know, or, or the cliche of the dumb blonde or, you know, all of that. And she was incredibly bright and emotionally, obviously, very astute. And I love the way you played that. I just... I felt that and I love the way you, you were able to carry that through the performance.
1: I mean, I know it's it's hard because I played my first role that anybody saw me as was Karen Smith, which is I mean, it's classic. I, it's one of my favorite uh, experiences of all time. But, of course people, yeah, saw me as the, the ditzy blonde because of that and I got a lot of like uh, auditions to play ditzy blondes or like you know, big boobed teenagers. And I, I imagine, like, well, I, I imagine it was really difficult for her to play against that, the madcap comedian, ditzy blonde, you know, depending on the movie. She was playing a lot of the same characters. And so, of course, she didn't, people would just assume that's who she was.
0: Karen is obviously your character in Mean Girls. Yeah. Right, which just had its reunion. You, I saw you just got together. Wasn't there something I saw with Tina Fey? and, yeah, and, and Katie
1: Couric put together a reunion. She had done a Parent Trap reunion, and then I had worked with her husband on a, his podcast. And she was like, you should, would you ever do that? I'm like, get it? Sure, get it together. She's like, I reached out to some people. She reached out to Lindsay. Everybody was like, yeah, of mm-hmm. course. That was really great. Been a while. Yeah. It's been, everybody's come so far. So like they've just, we've had like
0: full lives. I know. Well, I want to take you back a little bit to the beginning because I have some of my own memories so, and we can talk about those. But, but for you, you grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, right? Which is, I think the Rust Belt, as they would say. I know it from the Billy Joel yeah. song. And you really came out of the gate fast. I mean, you were modeling. And then before you knew it, you were on a soap opera. What, what was that driving force when you were a teenager to, to want to act or want to pursue a career in show business?
1: I wanted to sing. First of all, that singing was like a big, a big goal for me. I, I started singing when I was 10. Cause I had an Annie audition. They, Annie came back on that revival. and I don't know. God, whew, I was 10. So 80, uh, 96. And I, from then on, I was like, this is, this is my dream. I want to be a singer. I love singing so much. I love the way it makes me feel. I love listening to singers and, you know, watching concerts. And then that kind of also turned into, I want to be on stage. I want to, I want to perform in every way. And I was on the dance team and I was, you know, there's just, I, I guess at that point I just wanted to do everything. And then things just kind of, there was a path modeling agencies were sending me on auditions and it just, I kind of, I didn't force too much. It just kind of happened. I was scared and not very good. And then I, I realized what I, that I really loved doing it. And I did want to make a career out of it. And so I started taking acting lessons more seriously and dropping the singing. And I don't know, it's just, um, I, I guess it was just needing, having a lot of energy and needing to, have an outlet and knowing that I loved entertaining. I was always trying to make people laugh, but, uh, but I don't think it was anything. I don't know. It's so weird. The driving force was just it's such a, it's such a, I, it's so hard to remember exactly what was going through my head because there were so many things. I mean, being a teenager and getting into this business, it's like, I was also desperate to play tennis after school, you know? And then things happen, like you get a role and you're like, okay, now I'm here. And then you don't get a role and you're like, okay, now I'm going to go to Fordham. And then you get Mean Girls and you're like, okay, I'm going to drop out of Fordham. and I'm going to go to Toronto. And, you know, and if you, if I was like, I don't know if I'll ever work again. I, it was just step by step, scary, but exciting, thrilling.
0: What was the part that made you feel like, okay, this is my path. I've made it. I'm going to be able to, you know, make a living at this.
1: I think it was because I think it was when I was 18. I just got into LA and I got big love and Veronica Mars in the same month. And since one was recurring, the other was a contract. I could do both of them. And I was like, wow, okay. I got two jobs. (laughs) They're both going to last six months. And for the next six months I'll be working and hopefully I'll get a job after that. But right now this is my career. And I think that I can, fully engage in this Hollywood thing. And that felt really safe for six months. (laughs) It's hard. I was like, I know every time I would finish a movie or something, even when I was doing movies when I was 19, 20, I thought, well, this is it. Um, I might never work again. I still feel that way sometimes. Like when when I'm done with a press tour, okay, that's it. That movie's over. What if you know, I haven't worked in ten months. What what's going to happen? It's just this. Oh, there's this thing inside of us all. I think that some of us listen to that voice more than others.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, my my impression was always that you had a certain um, tenaciousness, and maybe it's from growing up outside. You know, of New York or L.A. Uh, I was always impressed by your work ethic. And you, you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier with Gary. You don't take yourself so seriously, but you show up on time and, and you know, you, you show up again and again and again and again. And I'm remembering that one time we shot you on the cover and you're vomiting the entire time, but you are not going to not be there. And that is like of all those covers and I did 20, you know, 20 some of them, all of them. And I've never seen anything like that. We were all just, you'd like lay down, throw up and like kind of come back and, and sit up and do the picture. And I'm sure you remember that. I could tell by looking at your face right Post-traumatic now.
1: Post-traumatic stress. Here's the thing. I never want to upset anybody, make anyone uncomfortable. I don't, I need, I need people to like me or to, to trust that I'm going to show up. Like I need that. And it's gotten me in trouble taking care of other people before taking care of my husband or taking care of my, you know, it's, it's definitely gotten in the way. I definitely um, have learned a lot about boundaries, but it's still innate in me. You know, I'm, if I'm five minutes late, I feel really terrible. And that's a, I think that's a good thing. And I hope I can instill that in my children. Um, But yeah, yeah. Of course. I mean, my time isn't more important than anybody else's. Maybe that's how I was raised, but you get a lot done and you make more friends doing it. And yeah, makes sense. It makes more sense to be that way. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you feel like you're a young mother?
1: (laughs) Yeah, because my mom lives with me. (laughs) I feel so young, especially when she's like, don't stand near the door. It's too cold. He's going to get cold. And my my mothering instinct kicks in right away, so I'm like, I roll my eyes at that. But then there are other moments when I'm feeling a little less confident, and she can really get me and make me feel super young. And I feel like, okay, I'll just hand my my infant over to you because you're right. And we still have that dynamic. Sometimes it drives my husband crazy. She is the the best thing that's ever happened to us. But yeah, she's like a young mother. And then when you say you know you're still young, I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm almost thirty-five. But yeah, you're right. I am young. All my friends are the same age, with the same age kids. It seems like within a couple of years. And we, and I, sometimes I feel like we're all just teenagers with children, <laughs> and
0: we need our mothers.
1: But I wouldn't have it any other way.
0: And you you also chose to live out of the city, uh, both either New York or Los Angeles. So you're not in the in the midst of of the industry on on either coast. That had to have been deliberate.
1: I think I think I just need less noise in order to f- to thrive emotionally. I think we all do really. I'm not addicted to the city life. I certainly, you know, I'm close enough to a Starbucks. It it's fine. And and I always wanted animals and I just love space. I love space and this has been great for being in a pandemic. My god. I, boy, am I lucky, but yeah, I, I always wanted to grow up on a farm. So when you, when you have money or when you earn enough money to, to have what you've always wanted, it's just like the first thing you do, where some land, how do I get some horses? And that did <laughs> like, I'm just, and you know, it's a lot of people think I'm crazy, but I definitely, but I, cause I, I, I've already come to the realization that this is where I'm going to die. And my house is too small. I mean, this mm-hmm. house is way too small. But what am I going to do? I mean, this is where I'm going to die. I've already decided. It's like, my it's paradise. So, yeah. And also, I work enough. I'm always back and forth. I'm always in L.A. at some point. I'm always in New York at some point. There's like a compromise to be made. And this is the
0: perfect compromise.
1: Plus, I don't have to pay that much for school.
0: And you had a baby in a pandemic. You actually, like, all of a sudden, Amanda had a baby. I saw on your Instagram. I was like, wait, what? Oh, my God. We're here.
1: I know. But how great, because I don't have, it's something we, we can't, when you're in the public eye, you don't get a lot of opportunities to have a secret, not that I needed to have a secret, but you, it seems like you have to share everything, or I like to share a certain amount of things on my Instagram. I love social media for that, to engage in other things and, and to have people engage in my life a little bit. It's kind of fun to a point. And yet, um... I can't walk down the street in LA, you know, some, I, I, listen, I, my lifestyle is pretty calm, but when I'm living in LA, I get photographed time to time. And, you know, if I was Mm -hmm. pregnant, they, people would know. And, and I don't know, it's just great to not have anybody know anything about what you're doing, unless you choose to share it. Mm -hmm. That's the short answer.
0: (laughs) Well, I want to talk about some of, your projects because you had such, you've had a lot of diversity intentionally or unintentionally Uh, from Mamma Mia. Obviously we talked a little bit about Les Mis sing, you know, singing in both of those and singing with Meryl Streep. I'm just going to say, and dancing around in overalls and all that uh, jazz. (laughs) Uh, But how, for you, were those conscious choices or is that just like you said earlier, one thing kind of came after another and it was just a matter of saying yes to things as they came along?
1: Um Yes, the diversity of roles, very intentional. It's tricky just to be specific. It was really tricky um to go forth with Lovelace and Chloe because of the content. But my but I did those movies for a lot of reasons, but. But the, the, the other reasons were because I needed to break out of whatever people thought, especially the industry to be seen in the industry as, as to be respected in the industry is of course really important. I've always wanted that. I've always wanted people to trust that I could, I could perform that. I could bring it that I could play different roles. So the diversity in that respect, like you, that's kind of like being tested. You know, I'm, I want to pass the test. In my own, for my own peace of mind, and also to show people that I can, I'm an actor. I can play different roles. But Chloe and Lovelace were, you know, tr- they could have been really tricky if I didn't nail it, or if I didn't, if I couldn't get a right, or if the movie turned out really bad, or for many, any sort, any number of reasons. But I also was like, look, these are pretty serious roles. I'm not playing the dumb blonde. <laughs> I mean, I guess it could have been easier than that, but I just wanted to go to from one extreme to the next. And then some timing came, you know, was being like woven in and out of my career. Like, oh, Jennifer's body, that sounds like a lot of fun. That's a great director, great script, really fun role. And opportunities like that came along. And then of course I'd have to fight for a lot of roles and that had nothing to do with, Keeping my career diverse. It was just I need to play Cosette in this movie. Do you like the but fight?
0: Do you like when you audition? And I love when someone's like, "I
1: don't think you're right for it," and then I can reply, "I'm, I'm right for it. You will see." And of course, I don't know how many times I auditioned for Les Moves. I was told no before I even auditioned, and I was like, "You're gonna, I'm gonna." <laughs> I'm gonna make you want to choose me by the end of this. And it worked. Perseverance. It really worked. I've only done it a couple times. i It's just when I don't trust when I know that I can play a role that I'm that I'm right for it, and that i that I'm right for it. It's just if I trust that I am, then I'm gonna make someone. or and it, and then at the end of the day, I know when I'm done fighting. I definitely have lost the game. In some, for some movies, but, but you got to fight for it. I don't, I don't think you lose anything in that. I love auditioning. I'm like, I'm the actor that will, that will read, you know, there's just so many actors that I forget what the it's called when agents are like, Oh, offer only. I'm not an offer only for the most part, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because I like to fight. I love reading. I love, I love the competition. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I always end my interviews asking this question um, because I talk to so many incredibly talented, prolific people. What advice do you have for those choosing a career in the arts uh, to weather those successes and failures and to to persevere?
1: I don't think there are any failures and it's it's. It's not easy not to look at um, rejection or, or a, a challenge that feels impossible. It's not easy not to look at that as a failure. but I do believe every single thing that happens to you is is just a, a rung on the ladder. like there's there's definitely um, you can carve out a path for yourself and you can make things happen and you can work hard totally achieve your goals. Everybody has a different way of getting there. You can't ever mirror your, your path to someone else's. Everything is unique. And, and just because, you know, you're experiencing failure or what you think is failure right now does not have a say
0: and how, how you succeed. Thank you so much, Amanda. I love catching up with you. and It's good to see you. I really appreciate this, though. I'm so happy you want to see it again. I absolutely want to see it again. And you see different things in the film, and you respond to different things, and it's it's fantastic. So I appreciate your time, and congratulations on the new addition to your family. Um, I'm glad that the dogs and everyone's getting along, as, as we heard. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's Netflix, Q-U-E-U-E.com.